But I want to jump into the word today and start with a little story. Uh, it's the story of the runner. That's not me in the picture, just in case you're wondering. I want you to imagine for a second a, a runner running down a wooded path. And he's running happily along when all of a sudden he comes to a wall. Now the wall is too large for him to climb. It blocks the path from edge to edge. The runner knows that that wall is not supposed to be there. The runner knows the owner of this forest area, and he's been told he can run that path whenever he likes. But he's run and there's a wall. Well, he's confused for a moment, but he's undeterred. So he fumbles through the, the branches and the thorns on either side and then continues on his way. His run is going good. He's got his rhythm back. He gets in the zone, and right as he's in the zone, he comes to another wall. And he stops and scratches his head again and says, well, you know, there's something funny about this wall. It looks exactly like the other wall. Ah, can't be. That was a mile ago. So he takes a stick really quick, and he kind of puts a mark on the wall just to, just to make sure that he's not crazy. And he pushes his way through the branches again on the other side, and, and, he, gets, and, and he goes running again on the path. And as he's getting back in the zone again, he comes up to another wall. And this wall's got a little stick mark on it. And he says, you know what? I've been here before. I know how to handle this. And so he just shoves his way through the branches and sticks on the other side. He ignores the scratches and cuts he's getting, and he keeps going. And on the other side of that wall, he is so pumped that he's figured out how to get around this problem. He's just going to throw his head back. He's singing to himself, glory, hallelujah. And he doesn't even see it when right into another wall, face first. Now, it's a fun story, but I'm willing to bet that somebody here can see themselves in that story. And you might think, you know, that seems kind of like my life some days. Sometimes you're running, feeling good, and you hit a wall. And you never saw it coming, but you should have seen it coming because you've been there before. I, I think if I use the term wall as a metaphor, most of you understand that I'm not actually talking about a physical object. I'm talking about a non-physical obstacle in your life. Maybe it's something like a, a fight with your spouse. And it's a different subject every day, but it's the same fight. You know what I mean. Maybe it's something that you're sensitive about. And, and you know it seems silly that this bothers you so bad. It shouldn't bother you, but for some reason you just can't let it go. Maybe it's a hurt that hasn't healed. Maybe it's a broken relationship that it ended suddenly with no explanation. Maybe it is an addiction that you just can't kick. I'm going to give you my big principle for the day. The principle is this. God is going to keep bringing you to the same wall over and over and over until you let him tear it down. Now, anytime a preacher talks about walls, we go to the same place in the Bible, right? Where do you go in the Bible? What place, what famous wall is there in the Bible? Jericho, very good. So we're in Joshua chapter six today. Jericho, the famous wall. I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter six. I'm not actually gonna read it, but that way when you tune out from the sermon, you can still do something good and read your Bible. That or catch your Sunday morning nap, either one. Hopefully I'm loud enough you can't nap, so you'll get a good Bible reading in this morning. You know, Jericho's a great story. 
And we all know the story. God knocks down the wall for the Israelites. And, and of course, we know the application, right? God is waiting to knock down your walls. Have you heard that sermon before? Okay, well, let's sing a song and go home. All right, we all like that idea. We've all heard the story before, and God's waiting to knock down your walls, and there you go. But I want to look closer at this, because if you think that the walls of Jericho are a spiritual metaphor for the problems in your life, then you're not actually reading the story very well. I know that might come as a shock to you, but no, the walls of Jericho are not in the Bible to be a spiritual metaphor for your problems. You'll see what I mean here, hopefully. Uh, Let's recap the story right quick. Joshua, the great leader of the Israelites, he he takes over from Moses, and they're going into the promised land, right? And uh, the first big obstacle they have to get through, well, I guess they got the river, Jordan River. Uh, So the next big obstacle is the city of Jericho. And Jericho is this big fortified city, big uh, impending walls. You know, they're they're like, oh, what are we going to do? This is a big problem. It's an obstacle they can't get through. Well, before they even have a chance to to think about it very much, God comes to Joshua and he gives them very specific instructions. And the instructions are a little weird, but hey, it came from God. March around the city once a day for six days, being totally silent. On the seventh day, march around the city uh, seven times, uh, blow the shofar, the, the ram's horn, do your, your shouting, and then the city is going to collapse. The walls will come down. And so they do exactly that. And uh, God also said to them that you're going to destroy everything in that city, but you're going to take all the silver and the gold, and you're going to dedicate it to the tabernacle, okay? It's to be used for God's service. But everything else, every, 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 everything else is to be destroyed. So they do it. They march six times. On the seventh day, they march seven times. They blow the ram's horn. They shout. The walls come down. Everything happens exactly according to plan. And that's where we tend to end the story. But the story has a big old fat but then in it. But then they come to the city of Ai. Joshua, seeing this great victory that they've had at Jericho, he goes, hey, the next place we got to go is this little city of Ai. And Ai has no walls around it. It's what you might call a soft target or easy pickings, right? And so they say to, uh, you know, Joshua sends people to check it out. And they say, hey, this, this, is, this is fantastic. I mean, if we took down Jericho, don't even send the army. Send just a few, like, what is it, 3,000 guys, which was a small army compared to what they actually had. So just send like a contingent. And they can get this done. Light work, okay? So Joshua sends them out to Ai. And they get defeated. Badly defeated. Scripture says that their hearts melted. The the hearts of the Israelites melted when they came into the battle. And so Joshua goes to the Lord and he says, Well, Lord, what happened? What, what, What gives? And God goes, Well, you sinned in regard to Jericho. I said, whoa, we, we sinned? Yeah. Somebody has, has defiled the things that were devoted to destruction. And so they, they go through this process, and they find the person who took devoted things, and he was punished, 
And then God says, now let me lay out a battle plan for you. And, and they, they do God's battle plan and they defeat the city of Ai. Now, my, my point here is that the story of Jericho is incomplete unless you go on to the story of the city of Ai, because the lesson of Jericho is not that God is going to knock down your walls. The lesson from Jericho is not that God's going to knock down your walls. And I would challenge you, if you doubt what I'm saying, I've got a ram's horn at home. You can borrow it. You can go to a wall, and you can dance around it. You can march around it. You can shout around it. You can do anything you want all day long. And I'm not going to put my money on it that God's going to knock that wall down for you. Wouldn't that be fantastic if you're like in the demolition business and you can just do it that way? But that's not the lesson. You see, the real lesson behind Jericho is that it's a juxtaposition of these two places and these two stories. These are two battles with two different outcomes because they had two different kinds of walls. Jericho faced a physical wall in one place, and in obedience, they let God do the work of tearing it down. But I had no physical walls. It had a spiritual wall. And the spiritual wall was the Israelites' unbelief. It wasn't really I's wall at all. It was Israel's wall. And I say it's a wall because it was a pattern again and again and again throughout their history. And it was already, it was a short history at this point, right? Uh, 40, 40 plus a couple years. But just in those few years, they had a great history of not believing what God had to say. And so he had to bring them to situations over and over and over to show to themselves that they did not trust him. They did not believe in him. Just a short rundown. Exodus 16, God says, I'm going to give you a manna from heaven. I've got one rule for this manna. Don't go trying to collect it on the Sabbath day. He brings manna from heaven. Sabbath day comes around. People go out to collect manna. Hey, buddy, there's no manna. I told you, don't do that on the Sabbath day. You didn't believe me, did you? Exodus 17, God's provided them food, but they're without water. And so they're out there thinking, well, God's going to fill our tummy, but he's not going to give us water. He's out here to kill us. Again, they don't believe in God's goodness. He brings them to a wall as they falsely accuse both God and Moses of having evil intentions towards the people. Exodus 20, God commands them to have no other gods and no graven images, but just a few chapters later, they're making a golden calf. They actually said to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. And then, of course, very famously in Numbers 13, God says, let's, let's go on into the promised land. Send the 12 spies. And they came back and they said, nah. You know, I mean, yeah, God's on our side. I mean, yeah, God's done all this great stuff for us, but you know, they're Canaanites. We can't do it. They didn't believe that God could defeat the Canaanites. The list goes on and on and on and on. They came again and again to walls which hindered their development as a spiritual people. You know, God had a special plan for the Israelites. They were to be set apart from the nations. They were a special people. They were his own possession, a nation of priests, all these things that he calls them. But he keeps bringing them around to this moment, a situation or whatever it may be, where they cannot move forward on their spiritual journey on their own power. Just like the runner in the story I shared you, they can dodge the problem somehow. But God's got a way of always bringing them back to show them you've got to deal with this. 
The same principle applies for you and I today. God is going to bring us to walls in our lives. And the point of the wall is not to discourage you. It's to expose the area in your life where you are not submitted to him. Or an area of your life where you've not let him heal your hurts. And at that wall, along with the choice that he's giving you, he's also offering grace. And on top of that, he's offering grace and grace. So, what brought down the walls of I? Well, this is not a formula that's going to work in every situation. This is not the magic spell I'm giving you here. But I think it's very interesting that there's a process that God takes them through. After they were defeated by I the first time, and Joshua says, hey, what's up? God takes them through this process. And it's kind of simple. The sin was exposed. God says to them, there's sin in the camp. And so then they have to find the source of the sin. Now, I think this is very interesting, and I don't want to go too far on this, but I'm going to leave this for you to think about. Isn't it interesting that God didn't just tell them who sinned? What's up with that? He went through a process. He made them find out. They had to do some digging, some discerning in order to discover who had committed the sin, to find the real problem. After the source was found, then the sin was expunged. In this guy's case, the dude who took the, the things that were dedicated to the Lord, uh, they actually put him to death. I'm, I'm really glad that we don't do that step in CR. We, we don't stone anybody. Thank God that he expunges our sins today in Jesus Christ. Amen. I, I don't want to be, honestly, uh, having to take care of my own sin. Uh, we all know what that means ultimately, but that's a very serious point that God has done this step, essentially, in Jesus Christ on our behalf. Hallelujah. The next thing they did was they erected a memorial. Now, I'm not going to go too far on this either, but I think it's very fascinating. They, they put this gigantic pile of stones. It was not a pretty memorial. It wasn't like a cool memorial, right? They just piled up a whole bunch of stones over top of this guy and his family that were all dead now. And it wasn't just the old, you know, that's how we bury people. They, they did that on purpose. They left that stone there, and then they named the valley, the Valley of Acor, which it says in the text what that means, and I just totally drew a blank of what that means. But the point is that they wanted everyone to remember what happened there. Because in remembering, there's great value there's great learning. And then after that, then Joshua listened carefully to the Lord, and they stepped out in obedience. And another interesting factor here is that in the story of Jericho, God lays out a battle plan, right? He lays it out very specifically. All Joshua has to do is go and do it. But if you notice, when you read the story, that's not how it went down with I the first time. God didn't even say, now go to I and do this. Joshua just says, hey, you know, there's this easy town. Let's just go do it. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, God handled the big one for us. Let's just go and kind of, this one's small. We can do it. We can do it on our own power. Isn't that interesting? After they've gone through this process of revealing sin, now Joshua's heart is in a better place. Now he's like, okay, God, what's your plan for the day? And God comes up with a great plan, which, by the way, from a military perspective, is a great tactical plan. God knows what he's doing. It's amazing. So that's kind of the process 
that he, he, he took them through. And so when Israel was once again walking in obedience, then that spiritual wall came down and Israel could then continue on the path that God intended for them. Now, I want to be mindful of time and not take too long, but I, I just, I got to throw this in here. Israel's a great example because, you know, this wasn't the end of it, obviously. This was the end. I, I think the story is here for a purpose, but it's not the end of the story of Israel and their continued uh, disobedience to God. What's so fascinating to me is that this habit that they have of ignoring God's commands continues for about a thousand years, give or take, okay? And we tend to look at the reign of David as like this is the great spiritual high time of Israel. But in reality, I, I think that this, the greatest spiritual mountain that Israel was in came much later, okay? About a thousand years after these events, God had to bring Israel to the greatest low that they'd ever experienced. And it's a place that some of you are probably familiar with. Now, there's a technical name for it, and then there's a name I'm going to call it, and the place I'm going to call it is Rock Bottom. If you've ever been to Rock Bottom, you know what it looks like, and it's not pretty. For them, Rock Bottom looked like Babylonians coming and killing a whole bunch of them and taking the rest of them, some as slaves, and some of them they just took and said, you're out of here. You're going to go to a different land. You're going to go to a foreign land. And their goal, of course, was to try to get them to assimilate and go do their thing and, and then they wouldn't exist anymore, as happened with the northern kingdom. But God had a plan in all that. You know, God didn't take them to rock bottom because he wanted to leave them there. He took them there because he had a plan for them. And when Israel hit rock bottom, God removed this protection, and after 70 years in exile, he had a people that were still set apart for him, despite the plans of the enemy. They were still set apart, but they were broken. They were dejected. They were discouraged. They were disillusioned. They were every other painful, hurt word you can think of as a people. And then he brings them back to the promised land. He brings them back to Jerusalem, to the holy city. And they don't even know what to do at this point. They're so broken. If you read uh, in, in scripture about this, they go back and they're like, well, we got this concept. We, we understand the gist here. We've got a God we're supposed to worship him. We need a temple. And we also need a city that, with the walls around it. And they are so messed up that they can't get any of this down right. It, it takes them years and years to even build a temple. And frankly, it says in there, the temple looked so shoddy, the old men cried when they saw it. They couldn't get anything right. But Despite that fact, they were disillusioned, discouraged. They didn't know what to do. They were in a great place because they knew that they needed help. They were finally able and willing to listen and accept some help. And so God in his grace sends them the help they need. And that's two men, Ezra and Nehemiah. And I would encourage you, there's some, there's some really boring chapters in Ezra especially. <laughs> Let's just be honest. You know, the, the, the list of people who came back from the exile it's hard. Someday read it, but skip it for now, okay? Go home and just read the, uh, everything else in Ezra and Nehemiah, okay? And, and you have these two men who come along, and they lead Israel as a nation into the greatest revival ever. And it wasn't like this one-time event, 
okay? It's not like we get to this great worship concert and we got our God on and then we like, yeah, it was great. And then we went home and went back to our normal life. They had this revival that lasted at least two decades of learning, of developing, and of changing their culture from the bottom up. And they repented of all the things they were doing wrong. They invested themselves in learning to do it right. And this is the really cool part. What was the sign that God gave them of their restoration? They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And again, that's not a metaphorical wall, but it's a wall that had a message which is, I will protect you. And here's the cool part. A lot of people who are hurt have a hard time with boundaries, healthy boundaries. When you let God tear down the walls that are keeping you from obedience and from walking with him, he will rebuild for you the walls of protection, those walls that will protect your heart and your mind from the great enemy, Satan. God does want to do that for us today. And so a wall, as I'm speaking of it mostly, is a negative thing that God wants to deal with, but there's also that positive, healthy boundary. I wish I could preach about healthy boundaries right now, but we got to get on with it. So my next to last point right here is basically, how does this apply to you? How are you going to let God tear down the walls in your life? And again, this is not a formula, okay? Don't, be, don't go home and like, all right, let me check the box here. I'm going to check one, check two, check three. All right, I'm healed. I'm good. I'm happy. It doesn't work quite like that. But this is a general principle. And, and honestly, I, I'm not here, I'm here to preach the word of God, okay? That's my goal. If I, you wind up being encouraged to go to CR, I hope you are, I hope you do, I hope you look into it. It's a great thing. But, but I'm not here just to promote CR. I wanna promote healing. I wanna promote your spiritual growth. I wanna promote the glory of God. But here's, here are principles that I, I believe are biblical principles. It's very similar to what he took the Israelites through after Jericho, after, after the first battle of Ai. And you'll find some counterparts in the principles of CR. But the big one is this. I would say this is universal. Stop denying that there's a problem. I'm gonna be frank with you. There are people that I know, oh, I'll just be honest. There's people I know in this room. You got hurts. You got hang-ups. You think you're hiding it. It's right there on your shoulder and everyone can see. And God is not here saying, oh, shame on you. He's saying, brother, sister, let me heal that. Let me have that. But you got to step out of denial first. You got to acknowledge, I got a problem. I need help to face this. Let someone help you to explore the source of that wall whether it's a, a constant sin in your life, whether it's an addiction, whether it's just hurt that you can't let go, so often there's a little more to the story. God wants to get, get all that out. Submit yourself and your wall to God first. Maybe that means repentance. Maybe it just means humility before him. And seek healing with the other person if necessary. You know, so often there's other people in the story, people that maybe you've hurt, Maybe you think your, your sin or your wall had nothing to do with anybody else. I almost guarantee you, when you start digging into that wall, you're going to find that there were other people hurt along the way. Your hurts do affect other people. Find reconciliation if possible. As we say in, in Celebrate Recovery, uh, make amends with them 
unless to do so would cause further hurts. Memorialize your healing. We don't talk a lot about that. Uh, you know, people have different ways of doing that. But the reason I say memorialize your healing is because those, those are learning moments. And I guarantee the lessons that you learn in your spiritual journey as you face your hurts, your habits, and your hangups, you can apply to other situations. And I guarantee, even if you heal through this stuff, there will be other situations that come along. Until you get to heaven, there's always another problem. That's life, right? And then lastly, take time every day to listen to the Lord and to walk in obedience. And that's, that's the powerful moment there when, when you finally realize, you know, I think actually walking God's way is, is probably the best way, right? And I know that's so hard to develop in your life the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. Um, I told you I'm not going to give you my testimony, but I will say this. I knew there was a wall. I mean, it was always there at the back of my head. I knew it for years. I knew I needed to heal and forgive from the abuse that I suffered as a child. And that didn't start to happen until I got into fellowship with other godly men and we spent time uh, for, for quite a while. It was actually five days a week we got together. We spent time in the Word and we spent time in prayer. So I, I'm, I maybe inverted the process a little bit. But that daily time in the Word of God is what started pushing and saying, hey, you know, you need to start dealing with something here. So those are general principles. Use them as CR, use them as your, your own private life. Uh, but get in the Word of God and let Him show you. And understand the value in having other people in your life that you can share this with. Uh, we have a saying in recovery, it's you're only as sick as your secrets. Think about that for a while. It's a principle. As long as you have a secret, it's like poison in your soul. You don't have to get up in front of a church and confess to everybody, oh, I did this thing. The Bible doesn't teach that. But it does talk about having a brother that you can confess to. It talks about the power of two or three, right? And there is a power of healing when you can let that secret out. It's no longer a secret when you can share it with someone and let them help you carry the burden. So, I'm going to try to bring it to a close here. Are you ready? In closing, I want to bring this back to the gospel right quick. Because the same principle really applies. You and I, before you knew Jesus, you had a problem. And you could not come and be saved until you acknowledged that you had a problem, right? This is the gospel. The gospel starts with realizing that I am a sinner who has violated God's law, and I need help. I need a Savior. And so I want to say this today. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you can do that today. It's a simple truth, and I, I think if you just look honestly at your own self, you'll see it. You are a sinner. You have violated God's commands, and you cannot save yourself. God is holy and perfect, and there is not enough goodness in you to get you into his presence. Amen? You need a Savior, and there's only one person in all the universe who was good enough to be the sacrifice for you, and his name was Jesus Christ. 
Christ. He's not just the healer of your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. He is the price paid for your sin. If you would receive him today as your Savior, you can have not just healing in this life, but eternal life, the promise of eternal life. Amen? If you do know Jesus is your Savior today, I want to encourage you. I know you still have some kind of hurt, habit, and hang-up. Because even if you've dealt with the big ones, there is more. I dealt with the trauma of abuse, and yet I still find there's other things that God keeps bringing to me to say, you know what, brother, now it's time to work on this. Now it's time to get a little bit closer, a little bit more like Jesus every day. Amen. Step out of denial. Acknowledge those hurts in your life. Acknowledge the spiritual walls that you cannot overcome and ask for help. Because our God is gracious and merciful. That's why he says, take my burden, my yoke, that is Jesus' yoke. Take it upon you. Our brother uh, Brent Kleinsauster is going to come. He's going to lead us in the serenity prayer in just a moment. Um, As we pray the prayer, I'm going to just tell you this. I think some people take it for granted like it's this kind of cute little thing we do. Read the words. Listen to the words. Because they're actually really profound. I want to encourage you to pray this together. Download it on your phone or something. Take a picture of the screen. Whatever you got to do. And think about those words of healing as Brent leads us in the serenity prayer. And then we're going to close with a song that uh, Pam actually just sent to Hillary this week. It's a great song on the same topic. It's called Truth Be Told. Brent. As Dan said about the serenity prayer, I don't know how many people I've heard from have told me how much when they were in rock bottom that this prayer got them through. So follow along with me as I read this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, in the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, and so that I may be reasonably be happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Thank you for letting CR share with you. As we say in CR, we love you where you're at. Even if you're in rock bottom, we love you where you're at. Good day, you are dismissed. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.